Hey, I'm Scott Cook, and you're listening to the Saul Good Media Podcast. I've seen how music can open minds and hearts. It's done it for me. Songs have done that for me personally. And, and so knowing that that's possible, it feels like it's worthwhile work to do. This guitar came from a timber, from the body of a tree, through the workshop of a luthier. Now it's all loan to me. Welcome to the Solgood Media Podcast, a podcast that explores the nature of human experience. I'm your host, Solomon Harvey, and every Monday we have a new guest on the show, and we talk about what drives them to do what they do. What is it that gravitates each of us towards our passions? Just a quick message before we get started today. This podcast is brought to you by the generous patrons of the Saul Good Media Podcast. If you'd like to learn how you can support future episodes like the one you're listening to today, check out patreon.com forward slash Saul Good Media and learn how you can back this project for as little as a dollar a month. I just want to say thanks to all of you who have already become patrons of Saul Good Media. Due to timing this past week, I actually had to turn down a paid gig to make this particular episode happen, and I wouldn't have had the ability to do that without your support. So because of you, this podcast episode happened, and I just want to say thank you, and just even to our listeners, really appreciate you guys sticking around, being curious, coming back and listening to these episodes, so thank you so much. You're the reason that I'm doing this work in the first place. Today I'm excited to introduce Scott Cook. Scott is a folk singer-songwriter who has been on tour for the last nine years, traveling all over the world. In this episode, we'll be talking about Scott's life on the road, some of the lessons he's learned along the way, as well as his process when it comes down to writing music and telling stories. Regardless of the line of work that you're currently in or the creative process that you're working towards, I believe Scott's approach to the creative process can apply to all of us. But before I get ahead of myself, Scott, how did music become such a big part of your life? And when did you decide to start touring in the first place? I was teaching kindergarten over in Taiwan. Uh, from I did that for about six years, uh, from 2000 through 2007. And during that time, I would come back to Canada in the summers uh, to go to my home festival, the North Country Fair, and check out other festivals. And uh, because over over there I was I was playing music on weekends, so when I was back in Canada, I'd try to play open mics and just try to get plugged into what was what was going on with music at home. Um, I was always blown away by kind of the level of of talent and uh, and also just the level of professionalism that I was witnessing uh, from musicians at home compared to kind of what we were doing for fun, you know, as weekend warriors over in Taiwan. Um, and yeah, I gradually thought I want to, I want to like have a crack at this, like get, get a press kit together or whatever, you know, make a little demo CD, that sort of thing that maybe I could pitch to try and get, uh, gigs back home. How old were you at this time? Oh, uh, this was in my thirties, late twenties, I guess. Yeah. Late twenties at that time. Anyway. Um, yeah. So I started kind of trying to do that i read a book called how to be your booking your own booking agent by jerry goldstein um that gives some kind of strategies about that and uh and and i just tried to book little tours for the summer um in canada and at first it was just me 
And then I took my band from Taiwan. We'd go back and we'd go on these little, you know, one month or so driving around British Columbia and Alberta. I made a little demo record one of those summers. The following summer, my band recorded our first album uh, while we were back in Canada in a buddy's basement studio. And um, the next summer, we went back again with a five-piece band. I brought three. Three of the bandmates were from South Africa, so it was their first visit to Canada. So it was great. Um, But we were just hemorrhaging money. Uh, But we were all English teachers back in Taiwan, so we weren't really doing it to make money, you know. But as time went on with that, I got thinking I would like to actually give it a go as a full-time thing for me. And I was an English teacher at that time, a kindergarten teacher, and I thought, you know, I could I could carry on doing that, but it, it didn't feel like my calling in the way that I, that I felt like music might be. And so gradually I just, I couldn't, Mm, I couldn't bear the thoughts of like the the what ifs that might haunt me if I didn't actually have a real crack at it. So I moved back to Canada and just the same way, just settled on a tour, but you know, I thought indefinitely. And that was uh, in June of 2005. And um, I lost all my money and racked up my credit cards and had to go back to Taiwan get back to work, make a little more money and, and try it again in, in June of 2007. And, uh, and that, that one took. So, wow. so I just been doing that ever since living out of a minivan and traveling around and singing songs for people. And I got another minivan now down in Australia. So I kind of divide my time. I'm surprised to be here when it's already so cold outside. Yeah. Well, welcome to Northern Michigan. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I, I kind of am jumping the gun a little bit because I'm just so excited to have you here today. And for people that don't know you, how would you like to sort of introduce yourself as a, do you introduce yourself as a singer-songwriter or an English teacher? Or, I mean, you've been playing oh, I, music, but... Yeah, I say I'm a folk singer, try to sing people's songs. To begin with, I was doing maybe a wider variety of music, I guess, because I was trying to figure out what, what it was that I wanted to you know, where I wanted to direct my, my attention. And, um, also in the beginning I was playing in bars a lot, singing like maybe half originals and half covers, trying to keep drunk people entertained and uh, sell beer and, uh, playing with a looper and doing like hip hop and reggae and all kinds of stuff. And, uh, just as time went on, I, I, I came to think, you know, I'm just going to focus on one thing and that's singing songs and telling stories and, uh, doing the troubadouring thing. So. And here you are, you're, you're doing it. <laughs> and I'd, I gotta say, you're doing an incredible job of it. The first Thank time you. I saw you play was at Bliss Fest about two years ago. And there were so many people in the crowd that were just, you know, so tuned in to seeing you play. I think a lot of times, like you, when you're playing at a bar, half the people are paying attention. Yeah. But you have a way of really tuning people in to what it is that you're mm. saying. And you have some really incredible messages too. Mm. And, for I'm a aspiring singer songwriter. I love the idea of taking a taking it on the road and seeing the path that that, that lays out for me. You can only predict so mm. far ahead. But um, what are some of the things that inspire your your songs and your music? Are you writing on the road a lot, or are you pulling from your past things that you you grew up with? Um. I'm not writing on the road a lot just because I find the road is pretty demanding uh, time-wise and attention-wise. There's just 
there's a lot of logistics involved in every day usually and getting from point a to point b and you know and and uh, keeping up with the emails uh, and the administrative side of it Are you... takes up a lot of your time and attention. I'm a one-man show okay. yeah, in that way. So I've got a friend now who helps me with grants. And uh, I'm starting to work with another friend who's going to help me with kind of a more broader strategic questions and more of a managerial role. But um, but for the most part, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of my own secretary. So that takes up a lot of attention. And I find that that sort of attention to the business of it it's essential. It's what allows me to do this for a living, but it's not the, the best mindset to get into a creative space because the creative space is more, has more to do with the childlike space, you know, uh, has more to do with play than work. So, you know, the, the amount of focus on work that's required with being on the road, I think makes it hard to open up that creative space. I did write a new song in October. I was based in Toronto for the month. Uh, a friend of mine was away on tour and I had his room. And I was doing gigs on the weekends, but I'd come back to town during the week. And, uh, and actually just being in one room like day after day and having kind of a daily routine with like playing guitar and practicing yoga and, and waking up in the morning and writing in my journal and writing down what I dreamed about if I remembered it and all, all those sorts of things can can help to kind of awaken that half of the of, of, of the brain I think for me and that uh, uh, so I managed to pull a song out uh, of that month and uh, yeah I'm hoping when I get done here I'm about 10 days uh, 12 days away from home here wow. so um, I'm hoping I'm gonna go stay with my folks for a while. They live outside of Edmonton, and um, and I'm just gonna have some downtime. We're gonna do the family holidays thing, and and uh, hopefully I can get some writing down there. Cause yeah, the road is a, is a hard hard place to pull songs out of for me anyway. I completely understand that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, are, and so for these tours that you're doing, are they cyclical? Do you stay with the same people when you go to certain areas, or new place? New face? Oh, a bit of both, yeah. A little bit of both, A bit of yeah. both. At first, I, with like planning tours, it was just, I just wanted to be on the road at first. And, you know, living in the van and traveling and seeing new places was just such a joy in itself that the tours was just kind of making that happen. Whereas now I'm seeing being on the road as more of a means to, the, to an end of like reaching new audiences with the songs. And so I suppose I've started to kind of reorient my focus a bit more strategically of like, where you know where, where should I be playing and what are kind of you know I hate to use this word but markets that I you know that I could look at that are worth kind of applying you know mm -hmm. some pressure whereas before it was just what do I want to see <laughs> you know <laughs> who do I want to visit well it's an um, interesting thing to make a living doing what you love you have yeah. to be able to make it profitable in some sense yeah and I don't think that it it has to be a negative thing, but I understand, you know, you're not doing it because for money, but you yeah. make money to continue doing it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and nowadays, I mean, I really feel the, you know, a, a big part of making money at it is like, if you make more money at a show, that means you don't have to play so many shows, you know, which is for me, I think really helpful in terms of like the, the creative spark that, that started this in the first place, I need to tend to that fire, you know. Um, I can't just be out pounding the pavement all the time. If I don't have any downtime to write 
and kind of nurture that, give, like I said, that that kid some space to play, you know, then the whole thing kind of loses the the point of it in mm-hmm. the first place. So so yeah, it's it's good to it's good to make money <laughs> for 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 your art for sure. And yeah, and kind of looking at looking at how to spend my time strategically is also just about where can I reach the most people? Where can I sing for more people and what you know, where, what do I see opening up and what don't I see opening up? What do you find on the road is one of the more important aspects to you? Is it connecting, spending a nice evening with people, or is it playing to a large audience, or is it, it could be any, really anything, there's no mm. right or wrong answer, but is there something really fulfilling and important to you about this? Uh, there's a lot, of, a, lot, a lot of things, I guess. Um, I mean, there still is definitely that, that I like to go visit beautiful places and I like to, I like to see nature and I like all the, all those things. Um, I like to travel places that I want to see. Um, but checking in with friends is also important and there's people, you know, that I love scattered around the world and a lot of them got kids now and I want to go check in and, and see their, see their kiddos. So that's a big part of it. Uh, you know, kind of my decisions as to where I'm going to go. But as far as what makes a show a good show, yeah, it's better to play for more people rather than less. Um, but I really like, you know, singing for crowds that are still within the size that I can reach them without a microphone. Like tonight, I probably won't be using a microphone. We'll see. Uh, I'll have to have a look at the space. But, um, you know, uh, audiences of 50, 60 people you don't really need to use a mic and i feel like that's a way more nice direct connection um when i can see the people and uh, i can talk to them directly um without the kind of you know the stage and the lights and all that stuff that separates the uh, the performer from the audience you have a deep powerful voice i feel like you can really project too and you have that ability Mm. that not every musician has i mean it comes with time i'm sure but yeah i suppose there's something of a genetic inheritance bit to that but not much i don't think i think a lot of it is just like comes with time just learning to Mm -hmm. speak louder or uh also i think it depends on a lot of it has to do with the intention of the singer you know and some singers are are working with a different thing you know some singers are working with something that's a very private thing Mm -hmm. and that they're kind of letting you into and that has its own value too but for what i'm doing is is, it's a public thing it's folk singing that i'm doing Mm -hmm. uh and so that's i'm speaking in a public voice you know all the old folk singers are doing the same thing they come gather around people you yeah. know it's all that sort of thing listen to my song and hear i'll tell you a story about this or whatever you know and that that intention i think is a lot of what gets your point across you know people often say to me after a show oh i could understand every word that you said and maybe they'll say, oh, it's, it's good that we, you're playing in a place with a good sound system because I could understand every word you said or whatever they'll say. You know, mm-hmm. it's good that you don't have a drummer because I could understand every word you said. Well, I feel like a lot of it just has to do with the intention of whether you actually want to be understood if you want people to understand every word you said. And there's plenty of singers who don't. And most of the singers that I grew up with, you know, I cut my teeth on punk rock or you know in 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 grade 10 or whatever me and my friends are playing gigs 
And our heroes were a lot of people who didn't really want to be understood. And they wrote kind of mm, obtuse lyrics uh, that maybe meant something to them, but they didn't expect them to mean anything to us. And, and they weren't really trying to communicate them. And they, and, and, and they were singing with their eyes closed and their hair in their face or whatever. And it wasn't about that. It wasn't a communicative thing, you know? Um, and, and I'm not saying that, that, um, I'm not, I'm not making any value judgment really either way, but what I'm interested in as a folk singer is that is communicating with the audience. And I think if you want to be understood and you speak and you sing in a way that wants to be understood, people will understand what you're saying. So moving through, you've got the understanding part down. And then I feel like the next phase is the messages that you're putting out. And Mm. what are, you said you're a storyteller through your music. I mean, it really comes through, but is there a story or a message that stands out to you among your music or among the mm. things that you want to tell to this mm. modern age? Okay. Uh, that's, I guess that, that question sort of gets at something that I missed in your earlier question about where do the songs come from and what's, uh, what sort of things are inspiration for them. And that's something I'm still figuring out, obviously, because each each song I feel like you know writes its own ticket, and they're all kind of like you know quite often with a beginning a song, it's like oh, really is that a thing that a song could be about? I guess you know <laughs> um, I feel like they they all play by their own rules and they're all kind of they're all kind of their own thing. But to me, I suppose the overarching thing is I've seen how music can open minds and hearts it's done it for me songs have done that for me personally and and so knowing that that's possible it feels like it's worthwhile work to do and that's you know that's what's kept me on the road as time's gone on because kicks and seeing great places and meeting pretty girls and drinking delicious things and whatever all that will only take you so far um and i think you know to stick with something for the long run it's you got to feel like it's worthwhile and like i mean for me anyway i have to feel like like i'm being of service to the world in some way and i've seen that songs can do that in a way you know if, if if they can speak to people's compassion and you know if they can widen people's circle of compassion if they can let people see the world through other people's eyes or you know inhabit other people's points of view i feel like that's that's a large part of what stories are capable of and that seems to me like something worth aiming at worth worth doing with art you know a lot of times with songs maybe it comes from something i don't know recently i was uh, I, i just sort of stumbled on an idea the other day with my cousins they're talking about some family history stuff that I'm thinking, is that, is that like fit for a song? Is that, you know, and I guess when a song's coming out, maybe that's when it's coming out, I just want to let it come out. But as far as whether it's worth singing, I feel like a lot of it for me is like, does this thing, does it, mm, does it serve love? I mean, does it awaken uh, empathy or compassion in people's hearts for whatever reason, you know, cause I feel like that's, what the world needs more of and um and that's something that i know songs can do because i've seen them do it they've done it's done it to me yeah mm. thank you for 
sharing because for some of the processes of my own writing is sit down and just let it, I'll just play it and I'll sort of sing gibberish, but it'll turn into something. Mm. And a lot of it happens on the spot. It'll just sort of all happen at once. And then I'll go back and make sense of it later. Mm. And to just sort of let it flow, like you said, it mm. is creating space for it. It's doing yoga and tuning into your dreams and cultivating that playground for it. So I guess other than just letting it bleed onto the page or out of your soul, mm. how do you sort of capture it? How do you? Okay. I suppose uh, I'll say the, you know, <laughs> I'll talk about the opposite thing which is i'm quite preoccupied with form with like structure when looking at songs and analyzing them in those terms to me there's kind of there's two two sides to creativity and the one is that kid and the other is is an adult is a critic is a judge you know and definitely you want to put that critic outside of the room (laughs) <laughs> when the kid <laughs> wants to play and wants to blurt out things. And and definitely I do the same thing with sometimes just playing and singing things that aren't even words and maybe they become words. Or, you know, learning to open that window uh, and keep it open for as long as you can before kind of the judge peeks back in and says, what are you doing in here? Uh, that's super valuable. And that's a thing I still don't understand and I'm still always trying to renegotiate my relationship with but the other side of it is i mean for me it has a lot to do with kind of building a framework building like a scaffold to work on you know building maybe we could even say a cage to work within because the blank page can be really daunting you know being able to say anything at all can be really daunting and so a, a lot of the way I work, and, and it wasn't always like that, but it is like this now, a lot of the way I work is by kind of coming up with a formal idea of a formal constraint. Maybe it's like, a, well, every verse needs to end with a simile or, you know, whatever it is. Maybe there's a refrain that you think, that's a good hook, you know? If I want every verse to end with something that rhymes with that, okay, now I've really narrowed my choices, you know? And to build kind of, if I've got kind of a feeling, I've got a bit of a musical idea, I've got a bit of a feeling, I've got a bit of a lyrical idea that I think could be married to that musical idea, it kind of fits the feeling. And then just kind of play around with it until I kind of settle on a shape. And maybe that's like a rhyme scheme, a formal idea. Maybe I I sort of know how the lines are gonna go, like how many syllables are in them or whatever. I know it's sort of gonna be like this. Maybe come up with a chord progression. Quite often, I'm looking at another song that I like and trying to analyze that song in terms of the formal construction of it and think, oh, that'd be cool to do something like that, where every second line repeats back the bit from the, or whatever, right? You've got some kind of scheme that you're working within. And then kind of using that as a, as, as a cage, you know, as a structure to work within so that so it becomes more like filling in a crossword puzzle than like a stream of consciousness using creating the pieces and then structuring the pieces uh, in a way more creating the structure and then and then populating oh, okay. it yeah okay and quite often with like reverse engineering it in the sense of like i look at a structure of another song that i like and i'm like oh maybe i could do something like that you know and settle on that form and especially if i've got a refrain that i, I know i need to land on well what kind of 
could even rhyme with that. Maybe there's like less possibilities. And so then that in itself can kind of open mm. up creative ideas because it's like, oh, maybe, well, that rhymes with that. Well, how could that relate to that? And working backwards from the place that you want to get to rather than starting at the beginning and setting off into the unknown. I find that's a lot of what my process is like nowadays. Listening to you talk, it sounds a lot like people could apply this to any process, mm. you know, like for songwriting especially, but with knowing where you're going, knowing where you want to be, working your way backwards, mm. creating the structure and being able to formulate, having room to play within that structure. Mm. It could mm. be super valuable. Yeah, that's a good point. You know, and also, and I think this also applies to everything. At times you'll find that something that it does it doesn't fit the structure it wants to it what you the structure needs to change you know because maybe through that play something arises that it's like oh actually maybe it wants to be something different mm -hmm. and, and then you have to you have to reformulate the structure and then work within that and that and that applies to any other field as well but i i, I do think really the the symmetry and formal perfection of a great work of art is a lot of what makes it work even though as an appreciator we don't necessarily notice it i mean it sucks if we notice it actually but the the formal perfection of things makes them seem true and and rhyming even is such a thing right if the if it if it rhymes it feels true you know alliteration is even such a thing it makes it feel true being able to analyze things that you really admire in those terms like how how are these working formally and how even like looking at chord progressions in terms of the, I don't know if you do this, but uh, by number? Yeah, 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 okay. So, you know, oh, I'm listening to a song and I just like that change. Oh, what is it? Oh, okay, it's they went to the the major three chord instead of the minor three. And then from there to the four. And, the, you know, looking at those things in the formal way and then repurposing them for your own ends. The average listener is not listening to struck by the form of it, right? They're not picking it apart in that way. But those things that, that work about it and that kind of make sense about it in a way give it a feeling of, of truth or, or at least symmetry or beauty. And I think when you write from your truth, it resonates with other people in a much stronger way than if you just were trying to figure out what people wanted to hear. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. And the main thing about, yeah, when someone's singing a song is whether you believe them or not. Mm -hmm. That's the main thing, yeah. Also, you know, uh, and this is a cliche, but showing rather than telling is, mm. is, is, is a huge part of what makes something believable. If somebody, if somebody paints a picture for me, I'm with them. If they, if, you know, the minute they're telling me what I'm supposed to think about it, I'm usually not with them. Yeah. Well, for your experience traveling to all these different places, I don't know all of the places that you've been and it might be too long of a list for us to share right now, but what is a sort of a common theme that you notice among all of the places that you travel? It's hmm. a good question. I think people are decent everywhere most most people are decent people that's my broadest generalization about you know my experience traveling uh i think you can see it across this country and you can see it around the world you know and people people have very different situations people a lot of people have it a lot harder than we have it 
but um but i think people are fundamentally decent and people people do a lot of what they do for love and that's a way that you know if if songs can can touch that uh and they can touch a lot of people and for you looking back on when you were just starting what is something now that you would want to tell yourself something through all the experiences that you've learned mm. you could kind of go back and say focus more on this or or mm. don't do that what what would be something that oh yeah wow uh don't drink so much uh i would have told my <laughs> young self uh my young self wouldn't have listened uh <laughs> that's definitely something it, with this life for anyone who's a musician doing this uh they'll be well aware of that 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 you know that's an easy way to get derailed get off track uh or drugs or whatever i mean and it's not i'm all in favor of both alcohol and drugs but they they can do a lot of they can do a lot of damage as well but um also i think um when i first began I wish, yeah, I guess the advice that I wish I could have given myself is just not to take it so personally um, because there's like a lot of indignities that you encounter along the way in this life and probably any kind of life where you're like putting out, you know, that's so aspirational in nature, right? That's so built around your dreams and your hopes and I mean, they're going to get ground in the in the dirt, you know, again and again, right? And that just goes with the territory. And when you're trying to, like, open doors and those doors don't want to open to you, I mean, that's just the way it's going to be. There's always people keeping the gate and there's always, you know, you got to knock again and again and again until some doors open. And I think it's all too easy to take stuff like that personally and feel like, you know, like those insults are insults to you or, you know, um, where it's so much of it is just the nature of the, of, of the territory. And as it gets increasingly crowded out there, you know, it's, it's harder and harder to get gigs that pay money and all that. It just goes with the territory. You know, when, when you go out and you sing your heart out and you made 20 bucks and you're like, oh, what's the point? Well, that's not the value you know, that $20 isn't the value of what you've done, really. It's the value of what you've done to the person who paid you. But that's that's a different question. That's not a personal thing. No, that's a logistical thing. That's a, that's a, that's a practical matter. And being able to see practical matters for what they are and not take them personally is a, a lesson I'm still learning, but <laughs> I wish someone had, had clued me on to a little earlier. Yeah. One thing I feel like... I've brought up a few times on this podcast is, you know, we kind of want some sort of reaction from whether it's somebody looking at our paintings, somebody listening to our music. And from my perspective, sitting at a show, I could be completely absorbed and completely changed by what I listen to, but I'm not sitting at the edge of my seat with huge eyes smiling or, mm-hmm. or or crying and showing what it is that I'm feeling. Mm-hmm. And as a musician looking out into your audience, I noticed a lot of people that were brought to tears by your music. Is mm-hmm. that something that makes you feel like, wow, this is getting through to people? Or, is, or do you, because I feel like you're looking people in the eyes, which mm-hmm. is not a very normal thing. I think it should be. I think it's something that we can learn to do as musicians, but I feel like you've really tapped into really speaking to 
people directly mm. versus to an audience, you know, playing mm. as if you're playing to thousands of people all that. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I'm just as fragile as everybody else. I'm totally like, Oh, please. I hope you like me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah for sure. Just like you go up there and you want them to like you and you, and you want to see some reaction. Of course, sometimes people who they can be having the best time and they're really loving it and they just don't let their face know. Yeah. <laughs> particularly men uh you know a lot of times they'll look like, i think man that guy's really got he's got he's got some issue he really objects to something that i'm doing or something and after the show they're like i loved it <laughs> it's like wow why didn't you <laughs> let your face know that you were having a good time but um well better question might be <laughs> where did you learn that because have uh, you always been looking people in the eyes no for sure not and i never saw any singers who did it uh until i saw my buddy corin raymond who i met about 10 years ago and he was doing it and he terrified me he was looking right at me i thought he was like staring into my soul and it scared me so i looked away and then he just picked on someone else and seeing him do that i, I write a lot in the introduction of my newest cd about that and and what uh what that showed me but a lot of it was like having seen him do it i tried to do it and i found i, I had a hard time doing it with my own songs because i didn't believe in them that much like he evidently believed in his, he believed every word he was singing and, and it, it came across like that. But I found, I learned some of his songs and I learned some of his friends' songs and, and, and when I would sing those songs for people and those songs I was sure because I learned them and I saw how they worked and I could see that they were perfect. And so then I could sing them for other people and I could be sure this song is perfect and I could be sure that you should really hear every word of it. I wanted them to hear every word of it. And so I could look at them and tell it to them like, look at this thing, it's perfect. And gradually doing that kind of allowed me eventually to, and writing different songs of my own, I guess allowed me to find a way into doing that with my own songs, into like believing them enough, believing what I was saying. And sometimes it meant changing my songs because it was like, you know, actually, I don't really believe that. Like, I believe it when I'm by myself singing, but when I'm staring at everybody else, I don't really believe it. I don't believe it that much that I want to get up in front of everybody and say it for sure, you know. And so, yeah, that's that's been a long process for me, but I definitely think that's that's a large part of what I do. And yeah, I want to get a reaction from them. Laughs are a really great place to start. Because that's when you know if people are paying attention to you or not, if they're laughing at the funny part. But, you know, it's it's wonderful if, if, if people are moved emotionally as well. And you can see that sometimes. And it's, and, it's, and it's amazing. And it makes it feel powerful. But a lot of it is like those people want to be seen by you. You know, I mean, they're there at the show because they want to have a profound transformative experience. Even if they don't know that that's why they're there. It's happened for them sometime at a show. And, and, and it's kind of what brought them back, you know? And they want to be seen by you. And they want to know that they're okay. Because we all want to know that we're okay. And and so just as much as I'm up there like, oh, I sure hope I'm okay and <laughs> you all like me and everything, those people also want to know that they're okay. And, and that's a large part of what I'm doing with my eyes when I'm in front of a group of people is acknowledging them and just looking at them and and accepting them and trying to send love to them because that's what we all want is to love and be loved and uh you know that that's a vulnerable place to be in on stage but it's also a powerful place i love that because i feel like i can really see that transformation between 
somebody that is getting on stage to that is completely not willing to be vulnerable or they're too scared to they're too I'm taking it personally. They're doing, mm. you know, what can I get from my audience rather than what can I give to my audience mm. and how mm. can I be here for you versus what can you give to me? Mm. But for your listeners and the listeners of this podcast, what is something that you would want to say? So we're getting close to our time. So closing thoughts, words of wisdom, calls to action for people listening. Huh. Calls to action. Um, we might all die soon. <laughs> um, I feel, I feel, uh, I feel a lot of grief every day about the state of the world, and uh, and I really hope we can survive because I think there's so much worth keeping. I've been so inspired by the people that I've met and all the things that they're working on and all the small ways that people pour their belief and their heart into what they do and make this world uh, a place worth living in and worth saving. And I just really hope that we don't, we don't screw it up. So um, whatever you're doing, that's, that's opening hearts and that's, that's bringing more love into the world. Keep doing it. Um, I just hope, especially now, uh, I just hope that people can see what other people are doing for where it's coming from and what it's motivated by um, because people are fundamentally decent. And uh, I was born in the States. I spent a lot of time down here. I have family who voted for the current president and I have family who hates him with all their guts. He's a horrible man. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. <laughs> he's not a decent person and he's not motivated by love. But my family who voted for him are and when I got stuck in the snowstorm the other day, the people who pushed me out are uh, undoubtedly <laughs> voted for him <laughs> by all the cultural signifiers anyway. Uh, and they're decent people and, and, and they're good people. And uh, I just really hope that we can see uh, what we have in common and, um, and that those things are bigger than the things that are dividing us right now. Thanks to Scott for being on the show today. If you want to learn more about Scott or listen to his music, be sure to check out the links in the description of this episode. You've been listening to the Saul Good Media Podcast. I'm Solomon Harvey. Have a Saul Good week. Peace. We staggered arm in arm here when we were younger. Tried everything they said we shouldn't do and we took as many trips as we took lovers some of those trips a dog comes back with you some of those trips turned into tricycles and my wild and reckless friends got safe and old Wheeling little buddy homeward on the bicycle With all the hope and joy and poop a bike seat could hold Now the feral festival kidlets keep changing costumes They run in a pack 
dig holes in the ground And they like sleeping under the table Just like the dogs do So you watch your step when there's little ones around And I'm a better person When I'm hanging with dogs and kids Got one thing on their mind at a time Can't keep nothing here Remind me we alive Forgive whatever we did I'm a better person Hanging with dogs and kids So we talk about work And what we're Why the bastards keep winning And where we'd move if they did We talk about who went home With whom at the party last weekend But eventually we just watch The dogs and kids Chasing and sniffing And eating's all they're on about They don't complicate Just freak out If they got a bone to pick with you It's probably just a bone And I'm a better person When I'm hanging with dogs and kids Got one thing on their mind at a time Can't keep nothing here Remind me we're alive Forgive whatever we Hey. 